If I could sum up everything I've learned from battling depression and anxiety for years, it would boil down to one thing. You are not alone. You see, so many of us are tormented by the insane idea that we're separate, disconnected beings, suffering all by our little lonesome selves. And I say this from experience. Then I began to open up and share my story. And voila, people showed up to tell me they were struggling too, or even more inspiring, that they had once struggled and since triumphed over their struggle. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, that's why it's important to open up and share your story. Which is why I'm proud to be sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is here to help you. They offer licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your own convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. From there, you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. You can also request a new therapist at no additional charge, anytime. So don't wait. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month today at betterhelp.com ddbn. That's betterhelp.com ddbn. I recently read an article where a six-year-old suffered from sleep apnea, a disorder that makes it hard for them to get enough rest at night. One morning, she was tired and struggling in her first grade class. Exhausted, she threw a tantrum. But instead of offering her compassion, support, or tools to calm herself down, school staff sent her first to the principal's office and then to jail. Although the charges were later dropped, the trauma lingers. She can vividly recount the handcuffs, arrest, and fingerprinting, a thought that brings grandmothers to tears. Today's story has many similarities. A person who instead of being offered respect and understanding for not only the age that they are, but the person they are, was handled in a manner that perhaps went too far and led them down a path that could have been avoided. I'm your host, JD. This is What's Your Story. I guess I'll start with the story where it, that where my four years of personal health started is what I like to call it, or or my emotional, physical, and uh, mental World War One. I guess you could say. Um, On July twentieth, two thousand seventeen, I had a meltdown. Is what the term is. Is what basically I was sensory overload. I have autism as well, so I was having a sensory overload meltdown issue i'm a week two weeks prior to that day i had a fight with my dad over something that honestly i can't remember anymore i'm uh, roughly around oh, excuse me I, uh, excuse me 
8.30 p.m. that day, the police were called out to my mom and dad's house, which is where I was living at the time, because I was, you know, 14. And uh, the poli- one officer showed up. Well, multiple officers showed up. One officer went into my mom and dad's house alone. Now, for... You know, if you know now, of course, you don't do that as a police officer. You'd never go inside of an area alone. No, there, there's, uh, there's always two. There's always one officer to talk to the suspect, and then one with their hand or with their hand near their firearm or on their firearm or taser, just in case. Right. Well, this officer decided to disobey protocol and go in there alone because these uh she thought that oh oh i've dealt with him before i can handle him not what i am afraid and having a meltdown so the officer went in there and and said put your hands behind your back all the you're under arrest all that crap right well i freaked out further sure so, so four or five other officers w- ran into the house, and I was pushed against the wall while they were rustling with me, right, trying to get the handcuffs on me. One arm, my uh, left arm was was secured. They had my left arm secured, and they they were bringing it behind my back to put me in the cuffs, right? Well, my right arm wasn't secure. No one was on my right arm, which was a mistake on the officer's part. If you're arresting somebody, you have people on both arms to arrest them, right? Yeah. Well, all of a sudden, this was in a completely involuntary reaction. I did not do what they said I did. My hand came around, and I all of a sudden touched a hilt of something. And all I can remember, he's got my gun, right? To this day, I'm sitting there and I'm and I'm completely astounded, right? Because I'm sitting there to this day and I'm like, I was literally within six inches of losing my life at yeah. 15. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we're all going to keep in mind here. Like, I'm not sure if we caught that in the beginning, like how, how yeah. young we're talking here. Yeah, yeah. I was 14 going on 15 that year. You know, I was within inches of losing my life. The only reason they didn't shoot me, there was an officer in the line of fire. Because they would have shot me at point blank range. The bullet would have went through one side of my head, came out the other and hit the other officer in either the neck, the vest itself or the head. And that officer would have been injured either severely or flat out dead from being in the line of fire. So I was real close to losing my life. Yeah. Um, and then I went to Swervey, Southwest Indiana Regional Youth Village. One of the worst detention centers I have ever seen. Now I was there this is was this will this was the third time that I went there and I stayed there for about 14 months while a whole bunch of shit was going on. So I got in there, and uh, of course I went through the whole handbook thing, which really isn't anything. You just memorize what rules are what, write down, bish, bash, bosh, complete. You're now level one, and you can be in the day room. Well, I had constant problems with this one staff member. I had real problems with the staff. You know, she yelled at me every day. Uh, she, you know, I've uh, there were other kids there too, threatening to attack me every day. Um, and of course, now I have coping skills called paper friends, and I wish I had a camera so I can show you. Um, and I also have stuffed animal friends, which one of them is sitting right next to me. It's my stuffed animal poo. And uh, I was attacked for having my paper friends in poo. And I used them to regulate my anxiety all the time. You know, I talked to poo about like different things. It's kind of like what I do. Like I go, hey, poo, you know, you know, like, what do you think about uh, issue X, Y, Z? And he gives me his opinion and we agree on things. You know, we have some disagreements, so all that stuff. Right. So I was looked at like I was insane. And I'm not insane. I know for a fact I'm not insane because I can turn it off like that. Yeah. It's it's not a schizophrenic thing. I can turn it off instantaneously whenever I would like. 
From beginning to end, we need a system that addresses the needs of individual young people, and we should look at their individual circumstances so that young people don't go unnecessarily deeper in the system than they have to. A major reason troubled kids end up in court are the social barriers in their communities, where poor families lack basic services for mental health care and social support. Many affluent youth can access therapy and rehabilitation programs in their neighborhoods without ever encountering a cop or courtroom. Less privileged youth are not so lucky. Their involvement with the criminal justice system, therefore, attests to institutionalized racial and social exclusion. To really protect children, we have to recognize that all young people should have access to the same services. People in the system, and just society in general, don't often see young people as, well, young people. Yeah, you know, so I was going through the, the JDC program, and then sometime in December, I was sent to Logansport DOC to get an eval. Got an eval, the therapist there says, yep, he's got PTSD and autism. And this is this is still around, like, we're talking 15, 16, right? Yeah, yeah, 20, uh, 2017, 2018. So I was, you know, I came back to JDC in 2018. And then I went, then the information came back. And, of course, the multiple court hearings that I have had, and I, you know, you can look this judge's name up. His name is uh, Judge Greg Granger. One of the kindest judges that, honestly... I have ever met, you know, of course I never met a judge before this point, but he was one of the kindest, most awesome people that I person I have ever met. Um, he was very understanding, you know, and uh, of course my PO of the time, which means probation officer, mm -hmm. uh, is, was Carol Ruff. She retired later on. She retires and I'm later on in the story. Thank God. Uh, and he, you know, all this, while all this stuff was going on, you know, Judge Granger was like, okay, you know, like, what do we have as options? You know, my mom put forward, you know, we want him to go to Great Circle in St. Louis. Well, Carol Ruff, you know, the state agreed, right? Well, three weeks later, Carol Ruff came back, filed a motion for filed a motion for me not to go to Great Circle and to go to a place that the state has a contract with. Mm. Well, everybody was pissed. The judge, my, my attorney at the time, Brett Roy, my mother, my father, everybody was mad. Well, one, that was the, well, the next court hearing, a, the ACLU attorney, Gavin Rose, came down from Indianapolis and showed up in court. And he was, you know, he's 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 up there in terms of positioning in the ACL Indiana ACLU. He's yeah. he's like the third top most lawyer, the third from the top. So so he's he's he, he by no means he's 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 some small 12 ounce can of doing. yeah, he knows what he's doing. Well, he was pissed and uh he filed a 54-page motion to get me to go to Great Circle. The state rescinded their motion, and I went off, off to Great Circle. I went. Sure. We'll come back to that 54-page motion, because that, that's important later. <laughs> so I get to Great Circle, and, you know, I, you know, first couple days there, actually, the first day I was there, someone got into a restraint over a misunderstanding, and I'm like... And I knew immediately, and I immediately knew from that incident alone, I'm like, I just got put in with a whole bunch of very dangerous kids. Yeah. And, of course, a couple months later, another fight happened, and another, and another, a whole shitload of fights happened while I was there. I think, like, at least 186. Some of them I caused... And I will admit that some of them were my fault because um, I admit to my mistakes. The rest of them were not. I was very severely bullied. Um, and of course, right around this time of 16, 17, I was kind of questioning my sexuality a little bit. And I 
finally decided, okay, I'm bisexual and I'm bisexual. I didn't share that with anybody, obviously, because I was like, who needs to know that at the time? Who needs to know that? In a place like that where you're going on, it's like... Well, 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 comes to find out all the kids there were homophobic. So I was put in with homophobic, what I would like to say, gang member wannabe kids. Yeah. You know, because they were like, oh, yeah, you know, my father was a GD. And I'm like, oh, seriously, your father was a GD. You know, and these kids were thinking, you know, oh, oh, I'm the toughest, most badass kids in there. And I looked at one of them. I'm like, no, you're not. You know, even... I was Go ahead. Say, all, in a, all in a place that you're going to to get help. Yeah, I was going to say help or heal or some version of that, right? I mean, all yeah, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily. And of course, it like was fuzzy rainbows, but no, no, I know, you know, no, it's 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 not no. And all these these kids were kind of like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm the most toughest kid here. Da, 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 this this and that. And I'm like, oh really? You're the most toughest kid here. And and, and one and I will tell you, one of the kids actually went to prison. Yeah. And I guarantee you that all of the kids in there would have gotten eaten alive by the other gang members. Because the minute you throw up a gang symbol in prison, because I, I feel a lot of them did throw a couple in front of me. The minute you do that, yeah, the minute you, you minute you do that, guess what? You just signify to GD's enemies that you're open to get shanked. Yeah. And that happens quite a lot in prison. You, you know, I've heard people say, you know, I've you ever heard uh, the saying that you'd be surprised what you can get away with in a place full of cameras? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they mean that. You can you can you can get away with a lot. And now, of course, they'll ev- of course, they will eventually figure it out. But, you know, for the first five or six months or so, they won't know what the hell happened. There's a, there's yeah. a whole other saying, like, eventually you will get caught. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get caught, but... The saying that you'd be surprised at how much you can get away with in prison is extraordinary. And if everybody's around that age, and I, I say this with a background and being a 10 year veteran of middle school teaching, you know, that's, I mean, it's where it starts and it get, ends almost when you're 25, when your brain starts to lock in. You talk about a whole bunch of people. Who were 16, 17. Out, yeah, trying to figure out. Going on 18 are, and all these what's kids. What's going are, on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all these kids, you know, and, and, uh, and all these kids are like, oh, I'm, you know, I've got like five or six guns. And I'm like, first of all, if you had five or six firearms, you, your ass would be sitting in prison. Your, your mother and father would be sitting in prison. <laughs> For, for now, while I understand, yeah, it's not necessarily illegal for the parent to own a firearm and to get their child a firearm. Guess who that firearm is licensed to? Right, the parent. Right, and if you know, and you know, you, you can technically a child can hold a gun. It has to be. It has to be with an adult who's supervising, though. Which is scary. Yeah, yeah, it's very scary, right? Yeah, oh, oh, 100%. And I hope to God that if a 13 or 14-year-old kid is with their, you know, because hunting, for example, 15 or 16-year-old kids go with their fathers to hunt, right? Yeah. They have, you know, their father, their their father and stuff is training them, like, you know, you got to do this, you don't point, you know, you keep your uh, finger out outside of the trigger area until you're ready to shoot. That's something that I learned from my dad. I, I have no desire to own firearms, but he he obvi- he owns two because one malfunctioned and they sent him another one while his one that he bought went off to get repairs. Um, he, as far as I'm aware, he only has one as far as I'm aware, but he did have two at one point in time. He got rid of the second one, I believe. Or, or rather, one stays at the house and the other one stays with him in in his truck because he does own a firearm in relation to his job because you know he's an over the road truck driver and when I when I say that and I'm and I do mean it he goes to places like Chicago, Detroit, uh, at times Indianapolis. He's been up here a couple times, you know. In those areas, there's a lot of gang violence. Different, yeah. I'm Anyways, but, understand that. Yeah. I mean, not to go on a you know a, a dissertation or a, you know a, a side road for you know guns and gun control, but there is yeah. a there is some level, like you said. I mean, there's there's people that you know grew up with them, and there's a purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm from up north, and when we moved down here to the south, and I'm 41. I mean, my yeah, parents never owned a gun. Poor. Never needed a gun. It was a whole different story. But we lived around people. I mean, we live in in North Carolina, and at the time, you know, at a very you know suburban area. But I had friends that that was not their their, their upbringing. They were. You know, they went to the, you know, like you said, hunting and yeah, hu- yeah. I remember my parents like, going, what? Yeah. But it was no, there was well, no in, worry. It was just, yeah. Like, yeah. In areas like, for example, like in areas like Canada, Canada, you can legally own a hunting rifle. Anyways, not to get sidetracked. Oh, that's going to get, that's going to get in a whole political bullshit gambit. But yeah, these kids were saying, oh, I've got two or three guns. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, no, you don't. But I went, okay. And you know, and, I, and of course I didn't want to call them out for it. Cause these were kids two or three times my own side. Yeah. I was going to get my ass beat if I confronted them like that. So I'm like, <laughs> Okay, you know what? And I went, okay, you know what? Focus to yourself. And, and I did, right? Well, I this, this a year later, because not much happened between me being there um, from actually, no, in 20, actually, no, there is something that did happen. And roughly around August or September or so, um, which is actually next month, my uncle or my step-grandfather passed away. While I was in Great Circle in St. Louis, right? And I went, well, uh, you know, when I heard that news, when my dad goes, you know, when my dad says, buddy, in a very sad voice, I, and I went, okay, you know, I know something went down. And he said, Pops passed away. And I was like, okay, no big deal. I knew he was going to go. You know, he had a truck accident five years prior to that point. He, you know, he already lived most of his life. Well, a week, no more than a week later, my next family therapy session, my uncle passed away. Hmm. And I didn't even know that. I, you know, I was going to ask, uh, I was going to ask my dad, you know, hey, how's everybody on that family therapy session? And what my dad said, buddy, in a very sad voice. And I went, who, what happened now? now? Yeah. yeah, who died now? And he said, Uncle Brian passed away. And I dropped everything. You know, because I'm still reeling from Pops passed away a week prior, right? Yeah. Well, this was a double whammy, and I knew the universe was, was you know, because right then and there, I felt the universe is being disrespectful to me. The universe is, yeah, yeah. The, so all of a sudden, I became more violent started snapping at the little things here and there. Well, when I, I was, I, it was so bad that day when I found out they ended the family therapy session early and they called ahead to the cottage. You know, they had nine one one on speed dial. They had, you know, they, Oh yeah, it was bad. Well, three days later, a kid decided that it would be a good idea to bully me. It took four staff to get me off this kid. Four staff Jeez. alone to put to get me off this kid, and it took another four to keep me in a protective restraint technique, which is what a PRT is called. Yeah, I was not happy. Yeah. Well, then all of a sudden, the kids found out that, oh, shit, this guy has a breaking point. Hmm. You know, they were like, oh, shit, this kid has a breaking point, right? Um, anyways, a year later, I was going through some stuff and, uh, you know, you know, and I went, okay, you know, a year later, you know, the happiest point in the whole great circle three years of hell was that I got to hold a garter snake (laughs) and I found out that, Hey, Snakes are my true emotional support pet, so I'm kind of trying to get a bull python right now as an emotional support animal. ESA, I guess, is what yeah. they're called. Um, yeah, I was uh, going through all that, and of course, right around that time in Swervy, right? In, in Swervy, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to finish ninth grade, and that's that. I'm done with high school. Well, when I'm that promise was I held that promise true. When I became 16 and I was doing GED, I said, "You know what? I don't have to do this. This is not a part of yeah, uh, school was a part of the program, I guess you could say." And I'm like, "No, it's not." 
It, it really, it really wasn't. It was just, it was just a that that was just a bullshit thing they said to get you to do a school. Well, I went. I'm gonna focus on stuff that makes me happy, and I did. So I focused on okay, you know what? Can I do? So I played games on the school laptop. Don't ask how the hell I did it, <laughs> but I did. <laughs> I, I did, trust me, don't ask the, how the hell I did it, I, but I, apparently I did. Play, I was playing Minecraft on there, playing on Oddcraft the whole time. And of, course, and of course, the school didn't even know I was playing on a multiplayer server. They didn't even know. I didn't understand what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, no, they didn't even know I had Minecraft on the computer. It was no. the same computer every time. Because it had my name, it had a note with my name on it, so they didn't even know I was playing Minecraft. And of course, I was sitting in a corner, and of course, you know, there was a door. The, they couldn't even, there was a wall there. They couldn't even see me playing Minecraft. They couldn't see me playing all these games. You know, I was playing World of Tanks at one point. You know, I was doing a whole bunch of stuff, and they didn't even know. They were like, oh, yeah, he's doing his schoolwork. And I, I, no, I wasn't. I was playing Minecraft. I was watching YouTube. Gosh. <laughs> you know, so th- so, th- and that leads me to another thing that children are very creative. Certainly are. They, you know, and of course, at that time, I knew what I was doing was breaking the rules. But to be honest, when that was my second or third year in, by that point, I was thinking, you know what? If I'm going to stay here till I'm 21, the hell with it. You know, I'm like, I'm not going to do the rules anymore. I'm a human being. Too many children particularly children in poverty, children of color, children with disabilities, children with mental health and substance abuse challenges, children subjected to neglect, abuse, and or violence, children in foster care, and LGBTQ children are pushed out of their schools and homes into the juvenile justice or adult criminal justice systems. While the number of children arrested and incarcerated has declined over the past decade, largely due to positive changes in policy and practice, America's children continue to be criminalized at alarming rates. Let's, let's take a look at that. In 2018, for instance, 728,000 children were arrested in the U.S. A child or teen was arrested every 43 seconds, despite a 63% reduction in child arrest between 2009 and 2018. And although the number of children in the juvenile system has been cut in half since 2007, 44,000 children and youth were held in residential placement on a given night in 2017, which means nearly two in three were placed in the most restrictive facilities. Another 935 children were incarcerated in adult prisons on any given night in 2017, which was down about 3,000 from 2007. And an estimated 76,000 children are prosecuted, sentenced, or incarcerated as adults annually. While many states have made legislative changes to raise the age of a juvenile court jurisdiction to 18, there are still states that still automatically prosecute 17-year-olds as adults. And and all states allow children charged with certain offenses to be prosecuted in adult courts. So I, of course, luckily I did get out eventually on August 6th, 2020. Um... Which the happiest day in my life because <laughs> I because I got home and I had a computer waiting for me at home and August 9th I got the the computer and of course now I have I I personally have one up here you know because that was the family computer well eventually I got my own which is currently sitting next to my desk but it's the graphics card unfortunately they died and I don't have twelve hundred dollars to replace that but I do have warranty anyway back to the whole story thing. So in great circle, I was kind of go, going, okay, you know, okay, you know, I have, okay, so what can I do? And of course, that got boring after a while. So eventually, I said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write some stories. Well, in about 2019, December of 2019 to Jan 2020, my great great aunt Seal Lucille passed away. Of course, she was she was 89 going on 90 that year. So I was, you know, no big deal. I didn't really meet her much. I did have a small incident, but nothing out of the ordinary. Jan 18th, I left Great Circle and I went to a place called Chod Place. A really bad place. I was there for about, oh, I don't know, three weeks. And then I went back to Swervery. 
Well, I got back to Swervy and all the, st- and the staff member Carol was still there. Right? She continued to yell at me. She continued to treat me like absolute shit. And I went, you know, and I went over to get a grievance and I, and I literally, three other kids came forward and attached lined pieces of paper to the same grievance. It was thrown out by that staff member and all four of us were written up for communication. Again, in a place and in and I a went, system that's like designed to do something to point people in a in, in a better direction. Yeah. I didn't even say a right direction, but a better direction. Yeah, well Juven- the juvenile was you're just it's kind of like jail you know you're kind of waiting to where to go the D- Logan's port is is kind of like juvenile prison basically and really horrible people are in Logan's port DOC the main Logan's port DOC because it's literally just prison that's about it and um often the presumption of guilt begins before any court date is set the moment they're handcuffed Nationwide, no state guarantees lawyers for every child during interrogation. Though Illinois recently passed legislation ensuring legal counsel for children under 15. With such weak legal protections, essentially a middle schooler could leave home in the morning and within a day get detained by school security officers and bullied into confessing by police without ever consulting with a lawyer or seeing their parents. And once incarcerated, children are at risk of physical and psychological abuse sexual assault, suicide, and other harms, including inadequate educational instruction. The use of solitary confinement further deprives them of social interaction, mental stimulation, and key services during a critical time of adolescent brain development. Risks are heightened for children in the adult criminal justice system, which is focused on punishment rather than rehabilitation and treatment. Children in adult jails are more likely to suffer permanent trauma and are five times more likely to die by suicide than children held in juvenile detention centers. I got there and I was facing DOC till I turned 21. And at that time I was 17, so that was four and a half years. That's four and a half years, yeah. So I'm kind of sitting here and I'm like, I've got nothing else to lose. You know, I made a grievance, the staff threw it out, which, by the way, they're not supposed to do. They threw it out and written the four of us for up for communication. I'm like, okay, by this point, this is getting fucking ridiculous. Well, one day it came to a boiling point and I snapped. Um, And I am disgusted that I did. I hit the staff member to get shit to stop. And I'm disgusted that I had to. Trust me, I am disgusted. I didn't want to hit the staff member. I did not want to hit her, but I was running out of appropriate uh, legal options by this point. I was just going to ask, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you, you realize that, that, you know, miscalculation of your judgment on your own, but at the same time, you know, if you're never, I had no never choice. given the skills or given the tools or given the the options to to understand, you know, how to to manage, uh, you know, what's going on in your world, other than somebody yelling at you or, or you know, exactly. You know, I, like was, I was I was doing is a mistake. Then I I kind of, I, I snapped. I was right. Yeah, yeah. Well, eventually I reached my boiling point and I snapped and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. Backhanded the staff member. Now, I immediately regretted part of me immediately regretted doing it. The other most of me went, thank fuck this is over. You know, and I do deeply regret doing that. I'm disgusted that I had to do that to get all this horrible shit to stop. But I was out. I was running out of legal options by that point. And, you know, of course, I was put I was kind of like a high risk person by that point. I was, you know, put in I was put. Yeah, I was put in a belt in shackles. I, cu- I couldn't even properly clean my room anymore. You know, eventually, by the time August roll, uh, rolled around, you know, and of course, I've, all these staff members are saying, oh, you're going to go to jail. Da, 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 da. 
Well, eventually I did go to jail, but it wasn't going to be that. It wasn't going to be August 6th. That was for damn sure, because I left JDC on August 6th, right? And I'm like, thank God, you know, my four years of hell is over. (laughs) Not quite. I went home and I was forced to be with in-home staffing, right? In my own own mother and father's house. So, you know, and of course, you know, for the first couple months, I was okay. Right around my 18th birthday, right? Right around my 18th birthday, I had a mental health issue, right? So I went to a... I guess uh, Psych Health Indie up here, and, you know, I was up there for about 21 days. I came back home, and I said, I can't, and not more than five or six hours later, I said, I can't do this anymore. Got the police called out again, and I was uh, off to jail I go. Yeah. I'm not laughing because um, of what happened. I'm, I'm kind of just well, smiling because it's, it's almost like... You know how they say, and I'm not like necessarily comparing like you to this, but it's almost like you say like you know when you hear like during like the winter months when it's cold or even when it's hot outside where you hear like homeless people you know cause yeah. like a like a purpose yeah they purposeful like reaction yeah 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 purposely they would normally do because they know they can get food so they're water be in a and spot mm-hmm. it's almost it's almost well like well I wasn't gonna yeah yeah. Yeah, well, it wasn't a coping mechanism per se, because after I went to jail, I never did it again. You know, I'm out. My case was dismissed in September of last year. I've been completely, you know, I have had no mental issues, no physical aggression incidents, no incidents where the cops had to come out. I'm living on my complete own. You know, I'm even off my medication, which I know I'm technically, well, technically I still am on it, but I'm not. I ran out and I'm completely fine. One thing that I do deeply regret and I have since apologized for is I broke a nurse's nose. And of course it was a female nurse's nose and I sincerely apologized and I do deeply regret doing that. But I know I knew that if I didn't, you know, and I'm not making this out like I did it for no reason. I, sure. you know, there were other options, other people I could have hit. But when you're in that state of fear, anger, upset, you don't think rationally. So all of a sudden my fist went up and hit this nurse in the nose and broke her nose. Right. And of course, you know, the police restrained me, put me in cuffs again, off to jail I went. Well, while I was in jail for the first two or three days, I was in a padded cell because that's what they normally do. Well, with me anyways, they did it with me anyway. They put me on watch or some shit like that because I I was a disabled person, and I guess I was the first autistic inmate there. (laughs) Um, Of course, you know, I got out, uh, got to speak to the therapist, you know, and I said, you know, all I want is my poo bear. Well, I was put in a normal cell cause I was kept away from everybody. Cause I am a, conf- I am a informant by nature. So for, for example, if, if we'll say, you know, inmate laptop and inmate desk wants to shank inmate poo, right? And I overheard that. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, two inmates are going to shank poo for reason X, Y, Z. Well, I would pull a guard to the side and I was explaining the same thing to these guards. Like, look, you got to keep me out of, you know, you got to keep me out of general population. I am a informant by nature and I explained it to them and they went, okay, you know, we'll keep you. And then guess what? They did. That that's that's another thing that still affects me to this day is I'd be out walking around all of a sudden I hear and then all of a sudden I'd stop and I'd immediately turn to where it is looking around kind of like kind of like like kind of like a, a soldier in a room if they're clearing a room you know they they kind of like you know looking around with their gun and you know that's what I did I looked or not of course in that sense but I immediately froze yeah. And I kind of, my back up, kind of looking around, you know, okay, where's that coming from? Do I need to 
you know, where's it coming from type of thing. And of course, it's never coming toward me. The only time where I had a big scare was I was coming home one night and a cop, an ambulance turned out my street. And I, and I fucking panicked and I threw my backpack off and I immediately, and I grabbed my ID and I immediately held, I threw my hands up. I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to jail for walking underneath this bridge. And I freaked out. And of course they drove by and you know, and they, yeah, dude, right. yeah, it wasn't anything to do with me. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, I just scared the shit out of this officer. <laughs> And of course, I don't know if they ever went back to that area to look for me. They never did. You know, I was, you know, to see, you know, hey, you know, are you okay? You know, why'd you throw your hands up? And I, yeah. you know, and I was going to explain to them, you, you scared me because I thought you were coming for me because I right. walked underneath the bridge. You know, and he said, did you, you know, and of course they would have said, well, did you do anything illegal under that bridge? And I'm like, no, I was just walking home, you know, but that's my CPTSD. That was my PTSD reaction. Yeah. Oh, shit. The cops are coming for me. I broke the law. Throw your hands up and don't move. You know, and I had my ID in my hand and I held my hands there till the ambulance came by. And I'm like. Oh, thank God. <laughs> They're not coming for me. So I quickened my pace home and got upstairs, locked the door, went into my room and I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, my God, that just, you know, because I sincerely thought like, oh, shit, yeah. did, I, did I do something? Did I break the law? You know, what law did I break? <laughs> you know, you know, of course, after, you know, I stayed home a couple of days just to make sure, you know, just to, just to make down. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just to make sure that they weren't coming for me, just to, you know, and, you know, after the third day up, like, okay, I don't think, you know, I think we're fine. Of course, I was talking to myself through the whole of these three days. I'm like, you know, Pooh, I'm going to go to jail. And he's like, and of course, this is my Pooh voice. Danny, you're not going to jail. And he was telling me, you know, you've did so well, you're not going to go to jail. And of course, you know, I like to think of it as like kind of he's like my subconscious type type of thing. You know, you're not. You know, you're not going to go to jail because if you were going to go to jail, they, that officer would have slammed on the brakes, took their gun out and pointed it at you and said, freeze, don't move. Right, right. Yeah, a whole different scenario would have fucking happened. You know, there'd be like two or f- three or four officers stepping out of the car and be, be like, freeze, IMPD, freeze type of thing. You, you know, the whole different scenario if I was going to jail again, you know, um, but honestly, I glossed over a whole bunch of stuff because I can't That's remember okay. all of it and okay. there's some stuff that i really don't want to talk about and that my brain went you're not going to remember this anymore and kind of redacted that information type protects of thing. you that's what it's there yeah for. to protect to protect me yeah. type of thing um of course now every you know of course now you know uh i actually during that four years you know at the time when i was about i want to say 10 or 11 or so i found out that my dad Served in the Marine Corps. Of course, only for 18 months. Then he got kicked out. He got anything other than honorable. He wasn't honor- dishonorably discharged, but he was politely asked to leave after going, getting to going AWOL to get a drink. And I'm assuming getting reprimanded and punched a CO in the face, he got kicked out. And of course, you know, his entire side, nothing but military. You know, my grandfather, military service distinction. My great-grandfather didn't have service distinction. Um, but my great-great-grandfather, military service distinction, served. We believe he served in World War One. I've had countless on both sides of the Civil War, countless on both sides of the Revolutionary. You know, I, you know and I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, my dad's side of the family. Because I was wondering why I was walking heel-toe all the time. Yeah. You know, and of course, you know, sometimes I would blurt out military, uh, like KIA, MIA, MIA, FUBARD. Terms. Military, yeah. yeah, military terms. You know, you know, every once in a while I would say, you know, oh, right now it's uh, 14, almost 1500 hours, which is three o'clock in right. the 24 military time, right? And I didn't know why. And I'm like, then my, you, you know, then it, then it, then, then it called back. Then I remembered, oh, my family, you know, I have half of me as military, military genes. So it was some, somewhere, you know, and yeah, it was uh, somewhere I picked somehow. all. Yeah. Yeah. Some somehow I picked all of that up from my either my dad or another family member who was, was served. Right. 
course, I have a couple, some family members serving now. Um, they're they're doing fine. You know, and I'm, you know, during that four years, I'm like, okay, you know, if I get out, you know, I can enlist. Well, I found out you can't enlist when you have PTSD. Yeah. Now, the real thing that pissed me off is that I, I was under the assumption that I could not enlist because of my autism. That's false. No. Yeah. You know, and I was, a, you know, and I actually met a staff sergeant for the United States Air Force, and he said, "Yeah, if you're P- if you didn't have PTSD, you would you would have been able to enlist. Of course, it would have been harder for me, but it's not necessarily autism is not a necessarily automatic yeah. yeah automatic medical discharge, and you can get that waived." No, so I was going to say as we're like coming here to like you know to the end, you know, it's it's kind of what I was like you know going to ask anyway, but you know what we're what we're talking about is. You know, you're you're talking about you know, your story is a lot to do with you know what people hear as far as you know the systems that people are are put in. You know, um, yeah, for very it's, I mean, it's, not it's, even, it's, not even it's just talking about going going to jail for you know crimes. We're talking about the, the part the part of it where you know you're going because we also we understand a you're a young individual and there's a lot being a lot going on in your world anyway that's changing. So we have to approach it differently. And then B, mm-hmm. the understanding that before you walked in there, that there was something, something unique about you. And in your case, you know, being autistic and yeah. so you have two things that like, yeah. you know, were, were kind of put in place. But so here we are on the outside and you're given this perception of like what those are designed to do and what they're supposed to, supposed to be like. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, you know, I was taught that being autistic is bad by the system. And that's what I was going to ask. You know, so what What did you, what, <laughs> I don't want to say that, you know, where, where do you feel like the system went wrong, but what, what, what would you leave could people it, with like, could as it far have, as like wanting to know something about what's going on and what we could be doing better that's being left out of the conversation? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, listen to people. You know, keep your heart and eyes and ears open because you never know if the per you know the per like for example depression it could be out in the open, but it could also be silent at the same time. You know, you could have a coworker going into work. You know, oh yeah, you know, oh I'm doing fine, and he's not doing no. fine, and then the next day you find out he committed suicide. Yeah. You know. Everyone should keep their eyes, ears, hearts open and look everywhere. You know what? You know, abuse can happen to anyone. Anything can happen. Yeah. You know, you know, go to somebody, make sure that everyone is okay. You know, talk about things, you know, confront them, get them help. Because what happened, and I mean, for lack of a better term, I mean, you know, I think you said at age 11, we, we put a label on. Mm-hmm. Something that was something that was going on with you, and you know, you yeah. hear all these conversations, all these things about, you know, once I once I learned I was depressed, or once I was learned that I was bipolar, whatever X Y Z, you know, it was like okay, but maybe in 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 some part in your your own you know mind and your own bubble there, you were okay, and and you were mm-hmm. like okay, that helps me understand a little bit what's going on, yeah, but that's it's like the complete opposite happened. So just kind of, I mean, what would you want people to hear about? What would you leave people with as far as understanding that, you know, when you, when you, when you're given somebody a label, when you're given somebody a definition, especially in terms of, you know, a mental illness or something that makes their experience of the, of the world around them different, what would you want them to walk away and know? Don't label people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, really all i have you know stop labeling people stop treating them like they're not human treat them like they're human yeah treat them like your own kids treat them how you want to be treated yeah don't look at somebody who's schizophrenic and go oh he's insane he's talking to himself or don't look at some uh somebody who has ptsd and go oh they're xyz's faking it you know, yeah. walk up to them and reassure and don't label them. Yeah. Help them out with their issues. Yeah. You know, stop labeling people. That's really all I have. Yeah. Or at least if, if that's where we're, where we're at, if that's what yeah. goes along with that, that at least maybe make, you know, get people to realize that with that doesn't come with a, it's not a warning label. It's like a, it should be a, a, 
a signal flare or a flashing light that goes, okay, I have to, like you said, listen better. Or that means that, okay, that that's my turn time to turn on my learning cap, you know? And, and yeah, go, exactly. Okay, that, that's, 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 that's my time. Are, to, then that mm-hmm. means that I have to, I have to this learn. Yeah. Yeah. Approach it. Manner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bunch, bunch of people. There's a whole bunch of people who aren't doing that. Yeah. I mean, from I mean, really your story sad. is a perfect example of just. And I, again, I don't want to say that you know a system failed, but the system certainly you know had sides of it that was just. I mean, they took it to a different mm-hmm. level, but the same. What we just said. I mean, we put a label and it sent off a a warning versus uh, yeah. Hey, what do we need to do? You know, I, I mean, yeah. What do we What do we need to do to help this guy yeah. get the skills he needs to have a good life? Yeah. False confessions, unaffordable legal representation, police violence, all are legacies of the war on drugs and zero-tolerance policing practices inflicted on the last generation's teenagers. But even today, as courts and policymakers are finally starting to undertake due process and rights-based reforms to address barriers to legal representation, the kids who are most in need of equal justice and most vulnerable to social abuse remain silenced. When the same courts expect those kids to be held accountable for their actions, who really deserves the blame for putting them behind bars? Thanks to Zeit for giving us a glimpse in his struggles and triumph, as well as sharing such an impactful story, one we don't get to hear often enough. That's all we have for this season of What's Your Story. I hope you've enjoyed these stories and feel you've gotten a better understanding of what mental illness looks like. What's Your Story is produced by me, JD, with music by Chad Lawson. Those stories, gratefully, are all yours. And if you've got one you want to share, head to fragilemoments.org slash tellyourstory. Thanks for sticking in for another season of this show, one that I'm so proud and honored to give to you. If there's something that resonated with you in today's episode, don't hesitate to reach out to me on Twitter or by leaving the show a review. I absolutely love knowing how things are going. Take care of yourself out there, and we'll be back for another season soon. Be sure to check in with your friends and family, though, in the meantime. And I do mean all of them.